Welcome back to Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. In today's episode, we're going to be continuing with the 1977 playoffs, moving on to the American League Championship Series between the Kansas City Royals and the New York Yankees. In the previous episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, we covered the uh, NLCS between the Dodgers and the Phillies, with the Dodgers being victorious in four games. Uh, And we've got a great five-game series, um, the second of three consecutive ALCS matchups between the Royals and the Yankees, two teams that don't like each other, that don't like facing each other, and yet for us fans, they provide us with some darn good baseball and some great, great moments, a lot of passion between these two teams. No love lost between them. And I do want to make a quick note before we get into things in today's episode about the passing of Bud Harrelson. Bud Harrelson the World Series winning shortstop on the 1969 New York Mets, sort of a New York legend, was there on the 73 team, got a lot of respect amongst everyone across baseball, basically when he took on Pete Rose. Harrelson, of course, later played uh, with the Rangers, uh, sort of later in his career, and then was a uh, base coach with the Mets in 1986, under Davy Johnson's stewardship. You can see him there, the famous moment when Vin Scully is yelling, behind the bag, after Buckner boots it. He's waving Ray Knight home there at third base. Harrelson, of course, uh, part of the World Series winning team there. Uh, A great legend that we lost. Um, Harrelson was sort of prototypical of your 70s white shortstop. Uh, kind of in the same vein of a Rick Burleson, a Freddie Patek, or a Bucky Dent, who uh, two two of the shortstops that we are going to be talking about in today's episode. But you know, kind of in the, you know same vein of your Don Kessinger, um, you know, not as good of players as say a Dave Concepcion or a Bert Campanaris or a Louis Aparicio, um, but very much respected, great with the glove. Uh, and could at least, you know, hit 270. (laughs) Uh, But Bud Harrelson, you will be missed. A great, great baseball figure. Um, I'll probably have more to say about you uh, when I eventually cover uh, the 1986 World Series, that great playoffs. Anyway, to the subject today, 1977. Going to have a lot to talk about. A lot has been said about the 1977 Yankees, and we're going to have plenty to say with them as we're going to be following them through uh, for this World Series. So I am going to talk quite a bit about the Royals today, the fight they put up, the positions they were in, how they get so close, uh, and what these games mean. Um, And I want to, when talking about these Yankees, right, of course, there's wanting to talk about Reggie Jackson and Thurman Munson, Ron Guidry, Billy Martin, of course. But I think what's so fascinating about these Yankees and what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks is just how good they were. Like all of the different pieces, it's really going to kind of come together and you see why this team, even, you know, of course they win because of the stars, 
but they also win because they had so many other great elements. Um, and man, going to have quite a lot to get to. Uh, and we'll have more on that after a word from our sponsor. You know, as a man, you just love the simplicity and the convenience of an electric razor. But where's that clean, close shave you could get with the foam and the straight razor blade? And the skin irritation from the electric? Ugh. You might be about ready to put that electric shaver kit in the bathroom cabinet and just banish it forever. But here to the rescue comes William's Electric Shave. It's a pre-shave formula that you just splash on your face and rub it around and watch that hair and stubble just stand up straight to be mowed down by that electric shaver. It's a match made in heaven. And you'll wonder, how did I ever shave without it? William's Electric Shave. Somehow, it makes your facial hair stand up straight and tall to make it easier to mow down, like the cartoon in the ad shows. But you'd need an electron microscope to see that action in real life. And if men didn't use electric shavers, then we wouldn't even need electric shave because, well, it would serve no earthly purpose. Electric shave! When these two teams met up in the playoffs in 1976, there was an absolutely classic ending to a five-game series. A back-and-forth matchup between two teams. Royals had made their first-ever playoffs, and the Yankees were back in the playoffs for the first time since the 60s, with Billy Martin as manager of the Yankees, Whitey Herzog, for the Royals. That series went five games. The Yankees took a six to three lead, three run lead in the final game of that series. They're up. Grant Jackson, who would later go on to win a World Series with the Pirates in 1979 that we covered and was awesome for them in a, in a closeout game. He runs into a little trouble in the eighth inning because there's a man named George Brett up at the plate. George Brett, who was 23 in his age 23 season at the time in 1976, comes up representing the tying run, I believe with two outs in the eighth inning. And then he does this to send a shockwave through the entire rabid New York Yankees crowd. You couldn't have a better man up. High drive. It's a right field. Home run. It's gone. There it is. The ball game is tied. Certain situations, like he said, he doesn't like to look for pitches because it takes away from his greatest asset of just hitting the ball hard in particular spots. But there he is. He said it earlier, he made an error. What did I say? I'm no gospel. George Brett, cold-blooded, one of the first of many moments and great, great late-inning home runs that he would have against the Yankees. We know about the one, uh, of course, the pine tar incident. That was a regular season, but in 1980, he had the pivotal home run off of Goose Gossage uh, in, in uh, Game 3 of that series. By the way, 
That's going to be future Yankee in 1977 Yankee. Reggie Jackson on the call there with Howard Cosell and Keith Jackson for ABC. Uh, He uh, would, in years that guys didn't make the playoffs, you had oftentimes current players. We're going to be hearing from Keith Jackson and Howard Cosell and Tom Seaver for the World Series when we get there. We'll let you know about our broadcasters. We're going to actually thankfully be having uh, the Yankees classic broadcasters of Frank Messer, the Scooter, Phil Rizzuto, and Bill White uh, with WPIX for much of this ALCS. But that's, you know, quiets the crowd and it's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Well, Jackson then gets out of the inning. We go to the ninth, Dick Tidro sets him down and up to lead off the bottom of the ninth inning is Chris Shambliss. And here is a great moment in history from the Yankees' first baseman. Mark Littell delivers high five. It's in right center field. That's gone. It is gone. Chris Shambliss has won the American League pennant for the New York Yankees. A thrilling, dramatic game with overtones of that great sixth game in the World Series a year ago and then the seventh game, too. What a way for the American League season to end. A spunky young Kansas City team. Look at them, Bob Chris Chambliss. What a season he has had. What a series he has had. I definitely recommend going to watch that video or looking it up again if you've seen it before. But Shambliss hits the ball, hands in the air as he's rounding first base. As the outfielders, I believe it's Al Callens and Hal McRae or Otis trying to get it there in right center. And then, of course, it's a mob scene. Shambliss has to run over like 20 fans and even to get to home plate and run around. I, I don't know what secure the lack of security, if there was just something about people in the 70s, like we just don't do that anymore, like the whole rushing the field. Um, I, I don't know what changed about that. It's a good change, if you ask me, that we no longer do it, especially for the safety of the players and the managers and frankly, the people themselves. But I don't know. There's just something about back then. Uh, I don't know when exactly that changed with uh, with guys not flooding the field. But anyway, you know, Shambliss, a moment that's going to be forever etched in history. Um, you know, there were other previous walk-offs in playoff series, right? Of course, when you think about Johnny Bench did it to the Mets and Burt Campanaris uh, did it to the uh the Orioles uh but to walk off a series I believe Johnny Bench in um it was either in 72 or it might have been in 75 um where he walked off to end a series uh pretty iconic moments there now I wanted to include those clips because it sort of sets the stage for this 77 series, because this is what we're coming off of. You know, Royals had a chance to, to, you know, come back in that game, maybe add on, and then they go home and have to stew on things. Well, they come out the next year and they're great. 
and they win 102 games, right? This is a team that was ready. We'll get to the Yankees in a moment and their sort of disappointment after getting swept by the Reds in the 76 World Series. But these Royals, man, I mean, making some trades, adding in Daryl Porter uh, to really bolster the catching position, getting him from Milwaukee. But, you know, you have just a a great team. George Brett can talk about him at length. He's awesome, making himself one of the best players in the league, really kind of adding in power at this stage of his career, had really just been an average and doubles and triples guy. Hal McCray has a great year in 77, driving in 21 uh, 92 runs, 21 homers, league leading 54 doubles, nearly hits 300. Al Cowens has a career year, 23 homers, 112 RBIs, hits 312, wins a gold glove in right field, finishes second in MVP. Amos Otis was really good as usual. Frank White uh, picking it over there. Freddie Patek with a solid season. You know, So this was a really good team up and down. The lineup and like played great defense, had a great, you know, had a great offense, and the pitching was solid. Right. Dennis Leonard, 20 and 12, 292 innings. The first, you know, he he would go on to win 20 games in three of four seasons. We talk about Dennis Leonard at length in the 1980 series. Jim Colburn won 18 games, though I think he got hurt or something. For whatever reason, he doesn't end up pitching in the playoffs for the Royals. Paul Splitorf was kind of actually seen as the ace. Went 16-6 and six with a 3-6-9 ERA, kind of the guy they were going to hope to rely on in this series. Andy Hassler, 9-6, and six, but a below-average ERA. Like the, the pitching staff for this Royals is interesting because it's a – it's a bunch of solid guys, but no one who's that outstanding, right? If there's any criticism, this is kind of, you know, Larry Gurr is there, but it's before Larry Gurr becomes an ace level pitcher. And they don't really have a lockdown closer. They had guys they kind of cycled through Doug Bird, Marty Patton, Larry Gurr, Mark Littell, all of them through all through over a hundred innings out of the pen with a bunch of spot starts. Um, you know, so that was kind of Whitey Herzog's game here was, hey, I've got a couple horses I'll ride with Dennis Leonard and Paul Splitorf, but pretty much everyone else we're going to cycle in. Um, and you hope that the lineup is going to be good enough. And, you know, really, when you think about it with this team, it ends up, I mean, it ends up being that way, right? Like, you know, they're they're able to win the the AL West pretty easily, right? The White Sox got off to a good start in the season and the Rangers finished really strong, but ultimately it didn't matter. You win 102 games and you win it by eight games. That's a really, really solid season for the Kansas City Royals. And they knew that they were going to have the final three games of this series at home on their turf Right. So that was the problem in 1976 from their viewpoint was, hey, the final games were at Yankee Stadium. We didn't have the chance for the last at bat. We didn't have the chance to close it out our way. We're going to have a chance to do that this year. Well, we'll see what happens here. We're actually um, I'll briefly talk in a little bit about um, 
about game one. Not, not much interesting happens in game one. Uh, but I do like, this is before game two, we have the intros. I love the way the, the great Yankees PA announcer pronounces Daryl Porter's name. And then we hear the broadcasters sort of talking about some of the players uh, and talking about manager Whitey Herzog. And catching number 15, Daryl Porter. Porter traded from Milwaukee back to his old form, 275, 16 home runs and 60 RBI. Number 20, Frank White. Kansas City born and raised and proud to be a Royal again tonight. You can be sure of that. Warming up in the bullpen is the pitcher, number 16, Andy Hassler. Nine and six on the year, a 4.20 ERA. That's the highest earned run average of any Royal. And there's the skipper. Herzog joining the Royals two years ago and taking him to two consecutive pennants. Whitey Herzog is the kind of guy, Dick, he can get the most out of the players. He can discipline the players. He can also kid with them and be one of the guys. They love Whitey Herzog. That, of course, is Bob Shepard, the PA announcer for the Yankees, and that's Dick Enberg and Don Drysdale of NBC uh, doing the broadcast uh, for Game 2. Again, I'll have all the broadcasters for you when we get to the clips. So these Royals, they're a great team. And, by the way, they're going to win Game 1 of this series in really convincing fashion, Um, really jumping all over one of the Yankees' off-season additions, Don Gullett, who had just beaten them in the World Series in 1976. We've talked about Don Gullett a lot on this show. Um, one of the greatest what-ifs of, like, if that dude's arm could have just stayed, like, healthy, like, probably, possibly could have had a Hall of Fame career, uh, a real great winner with the Reds, and Really, 77 is kind of his last season. It all falls apart after this. He had a pretty solid regular season, but the Yankees signed him in the offseason with free agency now present, right? The Yankees were one of the most active teams with the boss, right? Of course, they signed Catfish Hunter, signing him to a to a major deal and trading for certain players and extending them. The biggest, of course, the biggest prize was Reggie Jackson in the offseason, which created some stirs of bringing in a superstar and an MVP when you already had a superstar and an MVP in Thurman Munson, uh, who's, of course, the reigning MVP. And, well, that's been covered at length, right? And that's one thing I don't want. I, I will, of course, mention it, right, of the 1977 regular season for Billy Martin and the Yankees, sky-high expectations, demands from the boss, demands from the media, fighting. They get off to a slow start. They go 2-8. and eight. They're kind of limping along. Get hot, but not hot enough. But at the All-Star break, right, they're in third place. You know, they've made some trades, you know, adding in Cliff Johnson uh, for the for sort of the stretch run because Carlos May was not working out. Um, trading for Mike Torres, trading away Doc Ellis, who had actually pitched pretty well, and getting in Mike Torres. Uh, from the uh, Oakland Athletics um, and and really kind of discovering like, hey, by the way, Ron Guidry can pitch, right? There's fascinating things that have been covered at length and you can read plenty of books, uh, watch plenty of documentaries or watch basically Rome is Burning, you know, the, that old HBO show. Um, but what I find fascinating about this Yankees team, right? 
is they're just up and down really, really darn good. It's not just Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson. Actually, the best player on the team this year is probably Greg Nettles. And MVP voting surprisingly kind of shown it out, mainly because he hit 37 homers and drove in 107, you know, only hit 255. But there was a recognition with his great defense at third base that Greg Nettles was an awesome player. Right. And then you also have Chris Shambliss driving in 90 runs. Willie Randolph in like his second full season, really being an integral top of the order bat, finding ways to get on base and score a bunch of runs. Bucky Dent had a great glove. Mickey Rivers and Roy White and Lou Pinella finding ways. Paul Blair coming off the bench, providing great defense and a pitching staff. That was really solid. Ed Figueroa was a great pickup from the Angels, a guy who just wins double-digit games, wins almost, he wins 15-plus games pretty much every year when he's with the Yankees. Mike Torres wins 14 games. Ron Guidry, 16. Don Gellett, 14. And really kind of the story, right? There were disappointments with Catfish Hunter was not good this year. 9-9, nine and nine, 471 ERA, kind of a disaster in many ways. Ken Holtzman, abysmal, had nearly a six ERA. And the rest of the bullpen wasn't really much to, to you know, to, to say. But Dick Tidrow and Sparky Lyle, man, they covered a lot. They, they were really kind of the saviors of this season for the Yankees, not to mention having the best offense in baseball, right? That's kind of the main thing. But what kept this pitching staff in tow and kept everything was two guys out of the bullpen who Tidrow went 11 and four now had seven spots starts five saves 151 innings out of the bullpen pretty much 316 ERA really really solid and oh by the way Sparky Lyle 13 and five out of the bullpen 2.17 ERA 26 saves 60 games finished 137 innings pitched he wins the Cy Young which he probably shouldn't have won, but as reliever seasons go, it's one of the best you're ever going to see. And so this was a team that was, you know, third place at the, you know, or almost kind of like around the deadline all-star break, and they go hot. They go 50 and 20 down the stretch because ultimately, right, they get off to a slow start. There's infighting. There's battles in the media and all this nonsense, right? And Billy Martin going at the boss and Billy Martin going at Reggie Jackson and Reggie Jackson at Thurman Munson. And like, it's all just a mess. But ultimately, right, this team's just way too talented. And at a certain point, you just go play baseball. That that solves most of the issues is you go play baseball, you go win baseball. And winning doesn't fix anything, but it fixes most things. Now, there is one thing about these Yankees, right? When they're going out there, pretty much all the players get great ovations, right? Mickey Rivers, thunderous ovation. Thurman Munson gets the loudest of the players. Reggie Jackson gets a great ovation, but it's not as high as Munson, right? And, you know, they stand there, they shake hands, they... They, they they shake hands and they're like, all right. But the person who gets the biggest ovation out of them all, well, that's the little guy. That's the little firebrand, the little tyrant, the beloved Billy Martin. 
friend is number 49, Yankee pitcher Ron Gidron. Deceptively powerful, only 160 pounds, 5 feet 11. Gidry 116 and lost only 7. He is a power pitcher. And look at Billy Martin. Watch this ovation. His Yankee players love that Yankee uniform. The fans obviously care very much about Alfred Manuel Martin. There's many things to say about Billy Martin, and I'll have plenty to say uh, as this uh, as these playoffs shape out. The way I'll keep it succinct. Billy Martin brought a lot of passion and a lot of energy into baseball. Whether that energy and everything he brought, what he brought a lot to the table, whether it was all good or in what in in which way it pushes you, that's a discussion to be had. Um, but there was one thing that you did know: that dude cared. Right. He and he wanted to win and he wanted to win his way. And so I'll leave that there. So what we'll talk about getting into this series, first two games are going to be at Yankee Stadium, the final three out in Kansas City. And. What's interesting is like a lot, of, I think a lot of these games sort of like the first game was an afternoon game. Second game was a night game and there was a mix of afternoon and night games. But game one, uh, it's going to be Don Gullett versus Paul Splitorf. And it is just thoroughly, thoroughly in hand for the Royals. They knocked Don Gullett out early, right? First inning. After Freddie Potek walks, Hal McRae, two-run homer to left center field, gets them up 2-0 very early. Then in the second, Freddie Potek has a two-run double, making it 4-0, knocking Gullet out of the game. John Mayberry takes Dick Tidrow deep in the third inning, so it's 6-0 after three. 6-0 after three innings. Thurman Munson does get two runs back with a home run of himself, but that is all they are able to get off of Paul Splitorf, who goes eight innings. Um, funny enough, Dick Tidro like pretty much pitches almost the rest of the game. Sparky Lyle has comes in to face George Brett to close out the game. Um, you know, and Al Cowens ends up hitting a home run off of Tidro, but it is a seven to two drubbing. And the the way that they're thinking about this, right? If you're the Royals, is man Splitorf shut him down. We absolutely dominated. And then the next games we'll have will be at home. We're like, we just came into New York. And at the very least, we know at minimum, we'll just need to win two out of three at home. If we get another game, are you kidding me? We would be able to come home and only have to win one. They would have to beat us three times in a row. Man, that's when you get greedy, right? And so that's where you can see heading into this game too, which is going to be Ron Guidry 
versus a kind of surprising decision, right? To go with Andy Hassler, who was not very good for the Royals, had a 420 ERA, um, you know, would have been interesting to see whether or not they would have gone with Dennis Leonard, but the Royals were more comfortable at home. And the way they play this game is not like a punt game, uh, but it is like, man, you maybe could have gone for the kill shot here, either going with Leonard or maybe pitching Colburn. I don't know. I don't know. But Colburn might have been hurt. I, I've, I've, I've had mixed things reading up on it as, as to why he wasn't available for the playoffs. Anyway, game two, Royals actually get out to an early lead off of uh, Ron Guidry. Ron Guidry, who's really, really good in this game. Um, but Fr- Freddie Potak has a sack fl- uh, fly to drive in Daryl Porter in the top of the third. But in the bottom of the fifth, the guy coming up to the plate is a guy they traded for in the middle of the, middle of the season, Cliff Johnson. Now, the, the, he was part of the whole like, mix of former Astros like Jim Wynn or other players, right? The Yankees love to take other players. Greg Nettles played on Cleveland. Bucky Dent played on the White Sox. Willie Randolph was with Pittsburgh. Wasn't all homegrown guys for the Yankees, but they loved to take – Lou Pinella was with Kansas City, right? But they loved to, to take other guys and turn them into stars, basically. That's what they did. And Cliff Johnson – who was a really good hitter, like a 25, like almost a, a, an 800 plus OPS for like his entire career. And his OPS plus is like 125. He was awesome in this short season. Pretty much just played against lefties. All right. Cliff Johnson was a DH first baseman and crushed lefties. He had like a one, he had like a 1.1 or 1.2 OPS as a Yankee. And they also, by the way, had Dave Kingman too, who was like, hit four home runs in eight games or something like that. It's, the 1977 Yankees are crazy, right? But when you do something like Chris Chambliss the year before, when you do something as a Yankee in the playoffs, it makes it as if you're basically going to be a star. And in the fifth inning, in a game the Yankees desperately need, Cliff Johnson comes through. Look at this start and watch Johnson's emotion. He's saying, I hope it will. I hope it'll carry. Will it be? And about now, he knows. Now the Yankee fans on their feet. 56,000 plus. A great swing. Pretty much going opposite field for Cliff Johnson to tie up this ball game. And hey, the Yankees aren't done in this inning. Willie Randolph gets a two-out single, advances on a balk by Andy Hassler, and is then driven in by Bucky Dent to give them the lead and really get this crowd going. But in the top of the six, things get a little too interesting. Off of Ron Guidry, Freddie Pontek has a one-out double, and then Hal McRae puts up a great at-bat, drawing a walk, bringing up the great George Brett. Now, George Brett's going to hit a ground ball. First and second, one out. George Brett's a hard guy to turn a double play on. But there's going to be a play here that is going to probably fire up the Yankees a bunch. It's a great outcome for the Royals, but it's something that I believe lights a spark under Billy Martin's Yankees. 
got to hurry and look at that takeout. Here comes Patek. Randolph wants to get his hat. And now I think Billy Martin's going to go out and going to say that he stayed on top of him and prevented him from scoring. That's an angry Martin. And boy, oh boy, Alfred Menu is a little hot. And here comes all the American League umpires out as Patek very alertly came on to score. And now it is Vanilla holding Randolph away. Martin's trying to take the umpires out. Say, here's where it was. You can't lay on my man way out here, but what a body block by Hal McRae. That would have made any football coach proud. Well, it was, and that's how far he went across the bag. Here, so you can go across the bag. You're supposed to be around the bag at body length. And Billy Martin is saying that Hal McRae is not that tall, baby. And Marty Springstead is saying when he made the initial contact, the rolling block carried him this far. He did not go that far out of his way to make the initial contact. Let's say it again. You watch McRae. He has a bead on Randolph and really lowers the boom on him. That is a perfect execution of the cross-body block. At this point, I believe Randolph also, in trying to get up, loses the ball. Here's where he's saying that he might even be holding him, Dick. Now Martin's going to lose that argument. Hal McRae playing some football with Willie Randolph there, not even attempting a slide. Like Nowadays, there's a couple things that happened in this series that nowadays would certainly warrant ejection, ejections and automatic outs without a doubt. But that's, it's not a baseball play at all. But back then, yeah, they didn't really enforce the rules that way. They, they let the boys play as they as, uh, as they say. Um, and so, you know, good awareness by Patek there to go and score, but like, Billy Martin, a guy who's understandably furious about that, but it's exactly the type of play that he would want Willie Randolph or Mickey Rivers or Reggie Jackson to go do, right? Uh, if the shoe was on the other foot is, hey, go take out Frank White and, and move him out of the way. That's exactly what I want you to do. So it's sort of turnabout's fair play sometimes in these situations. And so... You know, that's a really, really significant play, right? Because it gives the lead back to the Royals. It's, well, actually, sorry. It ties the game back up. Yankees had a lead, but it didn't last, right? Um, and so it's like, all right, Gidry on the mound. Maybe we need to get Sparky Lyle warm or whatever. Um, because we don't know, we don't know what we've got. Um, and in the bottom of the six, actually, Andy Hassler is able to get two pretty quick outs, gets Reggie Jackson to pop up. But then sort of surprisingly, Whitey Herzog takes Hassler out of the game with the middle of the lineup coming, right? With Lou Pinella and Cliff Johnson and Chris Chambliss coming up. And he brings in Mark Littell, the pitcher who gave up the home run to Chambliss last year, by the way. But Lou Pinella, first pitch, rips a single to left. Thurman Munson hustles all the way over to third base. So it's first and third, two outs. And the guy who homered in his last at bat, Cliff Johnson. And well, Cliff Johnson, for his brief time with the Yankees, 
is making his postseason impact known. A ball and a strike to Cliff Johnson. Runners at the corner, two outs in the Yankees' six. What a great moment there for Cliff Johnson driving in the go-ahead run. And it's so important, right? You, you got the lead, but you gave it right back up to respond. I always talk about responses to adversity. And the Yankees, who desperately, desperately need this game, they do not want to go down two games to none having to go play three in Kansas City. I can tell you that. They need this ball game. And with the next play that happens, right, after a intentional walk to Chris Shambliss to bring up Willie Randolph, well, they are going to get a gift from the Kansas City Royals that all but sews up game two. The usually sure-handed Brett with a costly, costly error just picking up his glove too much as it goes right through his legs. He actually made a costly error in Game 5 of the 76 playoffs. Brett had some great moments with the bat, though, with the glove in the playoffs. Occasionally, occasionally uh, could make a costly mistake. And like I said, this all but sews up Game 2. Adding on those two, two more runs making it a uh, five to two lead that Willie Randolph would actually later extend in the eighth inning to make it six to two. Gidry finishes off the game. An excellent, excellent outing from Ron Gidry and really kind of reinvigorating these Yankees, making it so like, all right, you know what? We're going to go to Kansas City. We just got to go win a series, win two out of three. Well, their job's going to be a little bit harder because in game three, they do struggle. Um, it is a tight game for like the first six innings. It's Dennis Leonard on the mound. He's just outstanding, outstanding in this game. Really kind of making a good playoff push here, looking like the guy that the Royals can turn to in these situations. You know, Dennis Leonard's a hard thrower. 
hard fastball, hard slider, kind of one of your more modern guys, although, you know, he had a great strikeout rate per relative to the rest of the league. And this season wasn't much of a strikeout pitcher for a lot of his career, but he's awesome in this game. And, um, you know, Mike Torres isn't bad. He ends up giving up five runs, but it belies the line a little bit. It was a three, one game heading into the sixth inning. And he allows a couple of runners to get on, uh, with two outs. And then Billy Martin saying like, Hey, I want to keep this right here. Cause we want to win this game. We don't want to have to push ourselves to the brink and have to win two in a two in a row on the road brings in Sparky Lyle, but Sparky Lyle ends up giving up a big hit, um, in the bottom of the six to Amos Otis, a two out double to drive in two runs, to make it a five, one game and basically kind of put the game on ice. They are able to score a run off of Sparky Lyle later uh, to make it a uh, six to one ball game. Uh, and the Yankees get a run in the ninth to make it six two. but Dennis Leonard finishes off the complete game and Sparky Lyle, he goes two and a third innings. And that's important because Sparky Lyle is going to have to work really, really hard in game four. Uh, this is a matchup between Ed Figueroa and Larry Gura. Larry Gura, who would, a former Yankee, who would go on to be a great pitcher in a couple of years, but it's kind of a swing man this season. Um, kind of almost like this game's going to be a bullpen game. Um, but for both of these teams, the starting pitching does not do well exactly. The Yankees are able to get some early offense. First inning, they're able to score a run on a ground out by Thurman Munson after Mickey, Ribbles, Mickey Rivers doubled to lead off the inning, and Greg Nettles moves him over. Reggie Jackson, by the way, struggles mightily early in this series, and we'll I'll talk about that more as we get to game five. Um, in the top of the second, though, with Bucky Dent at the plate after Willie Randolph got on base. Here, we've got Frank Messer in the scooter and Bill White on as Bucky Dent looks to extend the lead early for these Yankees in an elimination game, giving themselves a chance to keep the season alive. Temperature today was supposed to get up into the high 60s. I don't think it's going to make it with that wind blowing. That's well hit. And it's a fair ball. Bounces up and it's in play. Willie Randolph will score and the Yankees lead 2-0. Big break there, Frank. That ball hit and stayed up. It didn't come out to Tom Polkett. Stayed up there as went up in the air. The Yankees were lucky it did not bounce into the stands. It came back down. Polkett had to make the play. And instead of having a ground rule double and sending Randolph back to third base, Willie was able to score. Here he is. Watch the ball. Come up here. Look, we just missed just before. It hit and bounced way up in the air and then bounced down. And it was not uh, a ground rule double. And Randolph was able to hustle in and score from first base. Really great base running from Willie Randolph. One of the underrated players of his generation. Willie Randolph, a little, little quick note about him. You know, a great defensive second baseman who never won a gold glove because he happened to overlap his entire career with Frank White, who basically stole all of them from him. Unfortunate. <laughs> the, the guy playing opposite of him 
both were excellent. White, I admit, a little bit better with the glove, but there are probably some years that that Randolph deserved a gold glove. But Randolph, a really solid hitter, but the best part about, about Willie Randolph, right? A guy for a guy who couldn't slug, right? Wasn't gonna give you doubles or homers, but man. Did he have excellent plate discipline? He had a nearly two to one strikeout ratio for his career. Walk to strikeout ratio, right? Not strikeout to walk ratio. No, he walked almost twice as much as he struck out for his entire career as a hitter, right? Different era, of course, not as high strikeout, but most guys aren't doing that. Willie Randolph never had a season that he struck out more than he walked his entire career, even in like brief, small segments. It's incredible. And was a fantastic base runner, stole bases, took the extra bag. He just glides around the bases with that ball kind of stuck down in the corner. There's not even a thought of a play at the plate. And then by the way, another underrated guy, Mickey Rivers, comes in with a base of his own to bring in Bucky Dent to make this a 3-0 game early on, just like the Yankees are looking. And they're just thinking, hey, Ed Figueroa, do what you've done all year. Just be a solid pitcher. Going to be a little bit hard for him to do that uh, in this game. Um, But by the way, also Bucky Dent, who would go on to win the World Series MVP in 1978 and have one of the most important home runs like ever in a regular season ballgame. Never did much with the bat because he was mainly relied on for his glove. But man, does he come up with timely hits uh, when it comes playoff time. The Yankees would actually make this a 4-0 game after the top of the third. And, you know, that's just exactly what you need. The problem is Ed Figueroa runs into trouble in the bottom of the third inning. After a Freddie Patek triple to right field, Frank White brings him in with a sack fly. And then with two two outs after Hal McRae singles, George Brett hits a triple himself to right field, bringing in Hal McRae making this a 4-2 ball game. Figueroa is able to get out of trouble by after walking Al Cowens. He strikes out John Mayberry, but Billy Martin's starting to get a little bit nervous. But thankfully, in the top of the fourth, Greg Nettles, who had been the Yankees' bet, probably their best player during the regular season with power and RBIs and great defense at third base, he is going to come up with a very key play here. Um, after some poor defense earlier in the inning by the by the Royals. On the ground through base head, Randolph scores. And the Yankees now lead it five to two. Nettles picking up his first run batted into the series. He's now three for fourteen. Boy, that was a big one for Greg Bill. Now we can just get Chris to rip one. And he get his confidence back. A much-needed hit for Greg Nettles there, as you hear uh, Phil Rizzuto and Bill White talk about it. And it's a very important one, right? It makes it a 5-2 to two ball game off of Marty Patton here. And it is really important because 
in the bottom in the bottom of the fourth, Ed Figueroa completely runs out of gas. You know, with one out, he ends up walking Amos Otis, and in a three-two count, Freddie Patek, who's having a great series so far, gets a double to left, making it a five-to-three ball game and putting himself in scoring position. Billy Martin says that's enough, goes to Dick Tidro, who he's gone to plenty of times to get out of jams and cover a lot of innings. But Dick, Dick Tidro is not able to get the job done. He gives up a double himself to Frank White, making this a five to four ball game, right? And he does get Tom Paquette to ground out to short, but he ends up walking Hal McCray. Can't put him away. McCray puts up a great at-bat because Hal McCray is locked in in this series. And so that brings up George Brett. And not wanting things to get out of hand, in the fourth inning, Billy Martin says, Hey, Sparky Lyle, my Cy Young winning closer, who, hey, Throws, goes multiple innings, right? He's been asked to come in in the middle of games before. But the fourth inning of an elimination game, Sparky Lyle, come in because after you, I've got nobody. I've got nobody, Sparky. I need you. Please save me, Sparky Lyle. And well, Sparky Lyle, with some good luck and good placement, is going to save the day for the Yankees. And he's going to put in the yeoman's effort in this game. And here it's George Brett against Sparky Lyle. There are two out. The Yankees have had difficulty, as we told you, winning in this ballpark. They won the first game this year. Since then, they've lost five straight. Long drive, left field. Pinellas there, makes the play. Ball was well hit, but right at him. So that ends the inning. Uh, sigh of relief. And a probably wiping of the brow of sweat from Billy Martin and all the Yankees in the dugout as that ball nestles into Lou Pinello's glove. That ball looked like it was ticketed to the gap. But sometimes, sometimes they hit them where you ain't, and sometimes they hit them where you are. Uh, so out of a jam there and what could have been a disaster, a disaster of an inning for the Yankees. I do want to mention... Uh, that's our old friends on NBC, Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek, uh, kind of very much the voices, uh, who, if you've listened to this show for a while, uh, they have been, uh, very common as they were kind of the voices of the seventies and into the eighties, uh, two great, great baseball commenters, um, and brought a lot of insight and a lot of, uh, a lot of different things. Love Kubek and Garagiola. Sparky Lyle, I mean, I, when I tell you he's going to do the omens work, I mean, just he just keeps going out there and putting up zeros with the game on the line. Fifth inning, one, two, three. Yankees aren't able to add on. That's all right. Bottom of the sixth, we'll walk around a, a Freddie Patek single and get three fly ball outs. Top of the seventh, not able to add on. Marty Patton does an excellent job in this game. Hey, no worries at all. Because in the bottom of the seventh, Hal McCray lines out. George Brett picks up a single. But with Al Cowan, Cowan's at the plate, Sparky Lyle knows, hey, I'm going to let my defense do the work. 
And when I've got Greg Nettles and Willie Randolph, they do a lot of the work for me. Elston Howard getting the signals from Gene Michaels as they move the defense. Line five, one hot, Nettles to Randolph, one over the first double play. Five, four, three, but they missed him at second base. Brett tried to take him out, Tony. He sure did. He's still lying out there. He came in with a slide and then he went into the roadblock. Nettles really got rid of the ball. Wendy had it on that hard smash. Watch Randolph. He really hung tough and got rid of the ball. There goes Brett. Brett was shook and shaken up. Brett really went out after him, and Willie made one heck of a pivot there, Joe. What a great double play turned on the relatively fast Al Cowens. But that ball, man, it really, really jumps when you're on turf. Nettles, Randolph turning it like pros there. 5-4-3. I want to mention a small thing that happens in the bottom of the seventh there. All right, Sometimes for defensive reasons, right? Late in games, Billy Martin would go to put in Paul Blair. All right, to play right field because he felt like he was a superior defender to Reggie Jackson. And that's what happens here. But it is kind of more of a thing of Reggie Jackson to this point in the series is one for 14 at the plate. No runs driven in. Has been objectively terrible in his Yankees postseason debut. Right? By the way, he's going to get benched for game five. And it's crazy that he would be removed for defensive reasons because Reggie Jackson is actually a great defensive player. You know, why you would say remove Reggie Jackson while the corpse of Lou Pinella is out there um, playing left field. Now, he occasionally makes some nice catches, but he's diving and stumbling because he can barely get to the ball, Lou Pinella. Um but Lupinella, at least, is doing part, part of his job on the offensive side in this series. Anyway, small thing that happens there is um, Paul Blair is in the game, and he's going to be in the game for game five. By the way, Billy Martin has basically just had it with Reggie Jackson. But this game four, the main thing that it's about, after Thurman Munson adds on a sack fly in the top of the, in the, top of the ninth, is Sparky Lyle. Sparky Lyle, who came into this game in the fourth inning, is still here in the ninth. He actually picks up his first strikeout with two outs and with one out in the ninth inning of Frank White. His first strikeout. Defense was doing all the work. But Sparky Lyle, now with a two-run lead, Joe Zeb up at the plate, has a chance to force a game five right here. And Sparky Lyle, well, he's a man on a mission this season in 1977. What an effort by Sparky Lyle there with the season on the line. Five and a third, kind of the Madison Bumgarner performance before Madison Bumgarner, except Sparky Lyle's a reliever. <laughs> and he went and did that. And oh, by the way, he's going to pitch in game five. 
not as much, not as much. <laughs> I might, I, I, I mind you, but um, what a performance! So once again, these two teams who went five games the year before and it ended in dramatic fashion in the ninth inning. What do we have in store for us this year? <laughs> it's going to be another great one, I tell you that. Um, something really, really crazy happens in this first inning. We've got Paul Splitorf versus Ron Guidry, two lefties. Uh, they were basically able to hold Splitorf back, have him ready to pitch the winner-take-all game. You know, the advantage of when you go up 2-1 in the series, you don't have to pitch your ace in game four. Um, but on the other hand, the, probably the Yankees best pitcher is on the mound in Ron Guidry. But since he is coming back on somewhat short rest, Ron Guidry does not look sharp early on. Splitorf, great one, two, three inning in the top of the first, a, a, a top of the first, a strikeout and two ground outs. But Hal McCray singles one, with one out and that brings up George Brett. And here is a really, really, another really important moment in this series. And what happens here is shocking. But what's more shocking is there's no consequences for what happens here. But just take a listen. You got to be kidding me here. That ball is going to be over the head of Rivers, maybe. No, it's going to be over Rivers' head. McRae is going to score and catch one for third. Brett went in hard and both teams are out on the field. Brett went in hard at Nettles and Nettles kicked him and that's when the fight started. Billy Martin right in the middle trying to break it up. But the Royals lead one to nothing. A triple into right center field by George Brett. Well, Guidry was right in the middle of that, as you mentioned, Bill. Well, he got out of there. I think one of the Yankees got him out of there, Phil, because they don't, that's the one guy they don't want to lose. You don't want to lose your starting pitcher. Tell you, Mickey misjudged that ball. That's about the first ball that he's misplayed in this whole series. Well, when, he, when it was hit, Phil, I thought it would be over his head, but you know, you can't, you can never say that with Rivers. No. He put on a burst of speed and just couldn't get to the ball. Well, Herzog now talking to Brett. And evidently, uh, Brett and Nettles will stay in the ballgame. There's Nettles buttoning his shirt up. Now we're going to get another look at that play. Let's watch it closely now. Blair comes over. Good backing up. Now here's where it is at third. The Nettles didn't do anything, and oh, there he did. Yep, he well, kicked after, him. After Brett went into him, uh, Nettles kicked him, and here it goes here. And right in the middle of his Gidry. Gidry. Yep. I tell you, Nettles the wrong guy to fight with. Yeah. I think. Oh <laughs> man, Hill is trying to hold him. He can't do it. Jam was over yeah, there too. Munson. 
There's George Zebra in the background. I mean, we're fighting in the first inning. I now George Brett is a hothead, and so is Greg Nettles. Like the '70s baseball was just filled with hotheads. What I, for the life of me, can't understand. How are these two not ejected? I mean, just like, it, it's just, it boggles the mind. It boggles the mind. How, if you're going to act like that, I know passions are high and that's what the thing is like, hey, calm down. We're okay. We're okay. But like, if you're going to act like that, both of you, get out of here. Get out of here. But because they were two of the best players in the game, Eh, they let things go. They let things go. I don't think that would happen nowadays, but uh, man, man, oh man, what, what a start to this ball game. You can tell these two teams do not like each other. They do not like each other. And they both want to win this badly. And, you know, George Brett is going to come into score right on the next play. Chopping ball by Al Cowens. Brett scores easily. 2-0 to start this game. In the top of the third, right? Nothing really, nothing important happens in the bottom of the second. There's no, like, brush, brush back pitches or anything like that. Um, Thurman Munson comes up to the plate, who's, uh, you know, had, had an all right series, had another great year, hit over 300, drove in 100 RBIs. What more could you want from a catcher? But here he is getting just a little bit back, right? Making sure that this game, right? You just never, you never want a game to get out of reach. Like when you've got opportunities, you want to come through. And here's Thurman Munson, who you're going to hear Bill White and Rizzuto and all these guys talk about with runners in scoring position, there isn't anyone they would want up at the plate other than Thurman Munson. Pitch was away. Porter went out, snatched it, tried to pull it on the inside corner to get a strike call, but Nick Brimigan was not fooled. Right field. That's a base hit. Rivers had better hurry. Cowens with a strong throw. It's high, though, and off the line. And the Yankees get on the board. It's now Royals 2 and the Yankees 1. Well, just as Bill White mentioned, Thurman Munson, I tell you, You'd rather see him up there in a clutch situation than just about anybody else on the Yankees. I would rather see him up there like that, Phil, than anybody in baseball. To be okay, honest with you, he, right. he's some kind of clutch hitter. That's where Yogi used to be. Certain guys you need for that situation. Other guys tighten up and tense up. Yep. Those guys thrive on it. A great opposite field swing from Thurman Munson. But unfortunately for the Yankees, it's not going to be enough, right? And Guidry, who, like I said, just doesn't look like himself, doesn't look like the Gator, the Louisiana Lightning that we're used to or that we've, we're starting to get used to this season. A reminder with Ron Guidry, this is really his first crack at being a starting pitcher in the major leagues, right? This is 1977 at 26 years old. Uh, and he's phenomenal, um, but really struggles in this game. But perhaps the extra bullets he had to fire in game two and throughout all of this season are catching up to him. 
because Hal McRae doubles to left, just a sweet swing guy who had 54 doubles in the regular season, right? 50 plus doubles is always impressive, no matter the season. Moves over on a grounder by George Brett. And then Al Cowens, the guy who drove in 112 runs, finished second in MVP voting. He's going to make sure that this is not a shutdown inning. And more importantly, he's going to knock one of the Yankees' best pitchers out of this ball game in just the third inning. Cowens, three for 16 in the series, with one home run and four runs batted in now. Yankee infield in. Base hit. McRae scores, and the Royals now lead three to one. And Martin's going out. That might be all, and it will be all. It'll have to be all for Ron Guidry. This is Martin's second appearance here in the bottom half of the third inning, and it's going to be Mike Torres on to pitch to Amos Otis. The start of this game has been nearly the worst case scenario for the Yankees, right? You decided to bench Reggie Jackson, and yet you've gotten not enough offense, just a single RBI from Thurman Munson. Ron Guidry, who you were really, really hoping was going to give you a length in this game, given how much Sparky Lyle had to pitch the day before, and given the ineffectiveness of just about everyone else on the Yankees in this series, right? Billy Martin's like, what? What can I do here? What in the world can happen? Who's going to be my savior today? Well, that's actually going to be Mike Torres. A little known thing about this, Mike Torres comes in and puts together an outstanding outing. And for the rest of these playoffs, Mike Torres is going to be awesome for the Yankees. It's one of the things that like never comes up when you read about when you read about these things, because of course, so many of the Yankees stars and other, and other guys, and maybe it's because Mike Torres would go on to pitch for the Red Sox later in his career or just the next year that people forget about it. But Mike Torres is awesome. Comes in, strikes out Amos Otis, strikes out John Watham, right? In other innings, in fact, gets guys on base, but you know what? He puts up zero after zero after zero, pretty much exactly like Sparky Lyle the day before, right? He's going to get this all the way to the eighth inning without facing any real trouble, right? And all the while, right? I will mention Paul Splitorf is great. And Whitey Herzog, once again, kind of in, in this things when he took out Andy Hassler, and now he's going to take out Paul Splitorf in the eighth inning, who had only given up one run, by the way. But we go to the eighth inning, and it's still a 3-1 ball game. Mike Torres, awesome, awesome job from him, right? And he's not done yet either. But in the eighth, Willie Randolph leads off, base hit up the middle. Gets things started for these Yankees. And Whitey Herzog is like, all right, going to go to the bullpen rather than staying with split orth with the heart of the lineup, Thurman Munson and Lou Pinella coming up. Doug Bird comes into pitch, a guy who was solid during the regular season, but not really, really a closer, right? Herzog didn't have that 
Sparky Lyle to turn to, or a Raleigh Fingers, or a Rich Gossage, or even a Bruce Suter at this point to turn to, right? He had a bunch of guys who were solid pitchers, but he didn't have a closer. He didn't have a lockdown guy. If there's any, any knock against these Royals, it is that fact, and it comes up huge in this game. Because Doug Bird, he does strike out Thurman Munson, but he gives up a base hit to right field to Lou Pinella. Now, Cliff Johnson is the DH, right? Guy who had great, great performances, clutch hits in game two, but hasn't done as much since. Well, here's the one of the bigger moments in this game. Call it up to the plate. It's the guy who was benched, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson being called on to pinch hit, come up cold in the eighth inning against the bullpen guys in scoring position, right? Now, all he's got to do is get a fly ball because it's first and third, one out. All he has to do is just not ground into a double play, not strike out. But mind you, he's one for 14 in this series. One for 14. But I think this base hit, this 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 at bat coming up here is what turns things around not only in this game for the Yankees but for going forward for Reggie Jackson as well this is a big moment in an elimination game in the 8th inning on the road yeah toughest job in baseball might be pinch hitting especially if you're a regular player. And Jackson has played regularly all of his career. Coming out there, mentally it's tough. All on two strikes. Important thing now, Frank, also, not only uh, are you thinking about Jackson, but the important thing is making sure you get that run in from third base. Well, you've got to get the bat on the ball. There's only one away. The Yankees need that run. Better to go into the ninth inning down one instead of two. Out into center field. Otis coming on, and he can't get to it. Otis playing deep. Couldn't get it. It's a base hit. Randolph scores. And now it's a three-to-two ball game. You no, know, Frank, we've been talking all year about how deep Otis plays, and Amos sort of stopped as that ball went out to center field, did not get a good jump on it, and just couldn't get to it. He stopped long enough for it to fall in front of him. Here it is here, making that short hop. Randolph and early scores from third base. The Yankees are down just one, and now they've got the go-ahead runs on the base. You don't have to take it from me. You've got Bill White's word right there. How hard of a job that is for what Reggie Jackson just had to do. Right? You're Reggie Jackson. You don't come off the bench. You don't you don't pinch hit. But here you are in a playoff game. Right? And Reggie, by the way, that at bat, he takes a couple of great swings, misses a couple pitches right there. And he gets jammed. Right? He gets jammed. He's trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark, but he gets jammed. But he's so strong, it carries out to the outfield. But because it's Reggie Jackson, it's such a huge swing. Otis gets a late jump and not wanting to overplay, not wanting to overplay it and allow an easy run to score and allow the game to be tied, Otis backs off. And so huge, huge moment there. Well, that's it for uh, 
for Doug Bird. It's now Steve McGorry's time, a lefty, a little bit of a sidewinder. Greg Nettles comes up and he rips one to right, but it's right to Al Cowens. No advancement there. And that brings up Chris Shambliss, the guy who was clutch against the Royals the year before, has struggled mightily in this series. And he's going to hit a ball, which looks like it's ticketed for center field. But there's a gold glover monitoring that carpet up the middle. His name is Frank White. Sidearm and smothered by White. Goes to second. They've got Jackson. An outstanding play by Frank White. Reggie Jackson arguing that he was safe. Potak is knocked down by Reggie at second base. And the Yankees are retired here in the eighth inning. An outstanding play by Frank White. Reggie went in hard, tried to get the bag. Potak was knocked out at the end of seven and a half. The score, the Royals three and the Yankees two. What a huge play by Frank White laying out. He was nicknamed either Smooth or Hoover for a darn good reason for the way he played second base. You know, playing on the turf, you want to play deep. Give yourself those angles. And man, what a play by Frank White. And it would probably be a play if the ninth inning doesn't plays out differently or if this bottom of the eighth plays out differently. That would be remembered a lot more um, if things were different. But of course they weren't. Mike Torres continues his job. It's now a 3-2 game. He's got to hold the line and he just runs out of gas. He does get two quick outs, right, to George Brett and Al Cowens. He ends up walking Amos Otis and walking Pete LeCock. So that means, all right, at this point, Sparky Lyle, I bet Sparky Lyle called down to Billy Martin to let him know, I'm available. <laughs> it was probably, that was likely the conversation was, hey, I can ma- I can maybe get four outs, maybe five outs. That, that That's probably what I can do. Um, I might be, I mean, or he might've said at the beginning of the day, I can give you one inning. I can close this thing out, but you know, cause he threw eight, basically eight innings the past two days as a reliever, asking him to go a third day in the row for multiple innings is a lot, but guess what? Sparky Lyle is up to the task. He comes up cookie Rojas up at the plate. No chance gets him on a breaking ball to chase in the dirt. Another clutch situation. Sparky Lyle does the job. So in the top of the ninth, a very curious decision. And this is the point of the Royals not having a closer, not having a guy that Whitey Herzog was confident. This is my guy. This is the ninth inning. And this is all the more reason why in the world was Paul Splitterdorf taken out. He's been your best pitcher. But game three starter who was awesome. Dennis Leonard comes into the game and I'll admit when he's facing Paul Blair, I think he hasn't struck out, right? There's a, there's a check swing on a slider that Paul Blair really looks like he swung at, but Paul Blair works a great at bat, gets it to a two, two count, seven pitches, lines it up the middle, dinks it into center field on base, Paul Blair doing his job. And Roy White comes in to pinch hit for Bucky Dent, the longtime Yankee, Roy White. He works 
an amazing at bat. Fallon pitches off. Paul Blair is running to try to get in scoring position. And Leonard loses it after eight pitches. Fastball way up that rides high out of the zone. First and second. Now, Whitey Herzog with Mickey Rivers coming up, even though Mickey Rivers is going to be bunting, everyone in the ballpark knows he's bunting, decides, you know what? I want to make that job a little harder. Let me bring in Larry Gura. Just a lefty, one batter. I just want to make this bunt as difficult as possible. And Gura actually does that. Gets into a two-strike count. Ricky Rivers does not look comfortable trying to bunt. But now since it is a 2-2 count, Billy Martin says, hey, Mickey Rivers, you're a 300 hitter. Why am I asking you to bunt? (laughs) With all of the speed on the bases, we're not going to ground into a double play. Mickey Rivers, swing away. And 3-2 lead for these Royals. They were three outs away from putting this thing in the bag. And three batters in without a single out recorded. Thanks to Mickey Rivers and Paul Blair and Roy White before him. That lead is gone with this base hit. Be able to go back to normal depth, normal position. And it really won't make that much difference anyway with River speed. He's going to chop that ball someplace. Two on, nobody out. The Yankees down a run here in the ninth inning. It's through the right side. That will tie the ball game up. Paul Blair will score the tying run. Roy White goes to third. And Mickey Rivers has come through again for the Yankees. Roy White at third now with a potential go-ahead run. And Whitey Herzog is going back to his bullpen again. It's hard to talk about these Yankees teams without talking about Mickey Rivers, what he provided on defense, and the fact that, if you didn't know, Mickey Rivers was a career 295 hitter, hit over 300, I believe, his time with the Yankees. Um, And especially this stretch, an instrumental part of this team and coming up with such a clutch hit, bringing in Paul Blair. Man, what a moment there to tie up this ball game and forcing Herzog to the bullpen again, bringing in Mark Littell, who, hey, last time that he stepped in in the ninth inning of a tie ball game in game five against the Yankees, it did not go well. And (laughs) once again, this time with Willie Randolph at the plate, Mark Littell is going to give up some really, really hard contact that's gonna give the Yankees the lead in the ninth inning. White at third, infield in close, you see them all up tight to the inner line. Dick Hauser, the third base coach. In the air, center field, that'll get the go-ahead run in as Otis drifts back. And makes the catch. Roy White will score. The Yankees lead four to three. Mickey Rivers tagged up and went to second. I think there's something special about who gets it done in this ninth inning for the Yankees. Paul Blair, Roy White, Mickey Rivers, Willie Randolph. 
right? These kind of scrappy players, hard-nosed players. But I'll also say black Yankees players coming through in these moments too, right? Like of what that means in a city like New York, in the Bronx, right? Like such, and when you're thinking about the changeover in 70s baseball and, and, and really one of the golden eras for black baseball in America, right? These, these guys coming through and it's not just the stars, right? It's the, it's the other guys on the field. Like, cause that's what matters when you talk about baseball, right? Where of course you have your trailblazers like a Jackie Robinson. And by the way, like we're not that far removed from Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby. Elston Howard and Roy Campanella, right? Roy White was the first real, you know, obviously you had Elston Howard, but Roy White, a long time black Yankee, right? Like these things matter. They matter a lot when we talk about these teams. And I don't want to get into the whole thing of, you know, obviously the story between Reggie and Thurman Munson is, you know, race plays a factor into how they were covered and how they were talked about. Um, but what also matters, right, in terms of making things important and breaking through when you're talking about integration in baseball of where it's not just the stars, it's the role players. It's the it's everybody coming along. And, you know, because back when Billy Martin played, right, there weren't the black role players around. It was Tony Kubek. It was... Um, you know, you, you're, you're Ralph, Ralph Terry or Bill Terry, whichever one, right? But now those role players, when you're thinking about Cliff Johnson earlier, right? That, that stuff matters, man. It really, really matters. And it's so cool to see that happen. Those guys getting it done in the ninth inning. Awesome. Awesome. And by the way, the year before, Shambliss too, right? Um... And because funny enough, with a chance to add on, right, against Littell, Thurman Munson grounds out, right, sending a guy to third base uh, in this situation. But to add insult to injury in this inning for the Royals, who've blown the lead, had another thing slip away, they, they had this in their grasp. George Brett, who had that great triple in the first inning, plays with so much energy, right, He's going to make yet another costly mistake that really puts the nail in the coffin for the 1977 Royal season. Bouncing ball, left side, Brett. Throws high, throws it away, throw it away. And another run scores. The Yankees lead 5-3 to three and Pinello will be waved out a second. And an air charge flanked at Brett here. Watch Brett go to his left now. He comes up with this ball cleanly. I think he tries to get a little bit too much on it. Here he is. He's got plenty of time. Takes about four steps. Turns the ball loose high. No way Pete Lecoq can get to it. River scores, and the Yankees lead by two. Unfortunate there for George Brett. Maybe letting out some frustration, letting that throw really eat there and allowing more runs to score, making it a 5-3 ball game. And with the way Sparky Lyle has pitched in this series, that means it's pretty much over. Though, 
ninth inning get, does get a little interesting. But it's just like <laughs> the the letdown there in that ninth inning. You know, it would, it would be a while before the Royals would probably forget that. And the Royals fans, you know, especially because it was the Yankees. Those, dare I say it, damn Yankees doing it to us again. And they're going to do it the next year, too. And keep that in mind. So let's go to the bottom of the ninth after Reggie Jackson grounds out. But Reggie Jackson, hey, with the way they've come back, no one's going to be talking about. It would have been the story. It would have been the story of New York papers. Oh, Yankees lose. Reggie Jackson goes one for 14 or one for 15 or whatever if he doesn't come up with that hit the previous inning, right? And history of baseball and how we talk about things might be different. But of course, these things play out how they play out. Fred Stanley goes in, ends up playing shortstop there in the ninth inning. Daryl Porter pops out weekly on the first pitch. Frank White actually has a two-strike single. But with Freddie Potek in the game, and mind you, important thing, Richie Jackson slid into Patek really hard in the bottom of the eighth, right? Didn't really seem to affect Patek too much on the defense. There weren't really plays at him, but who knows how well he's running. Patek's usually a really great base runner, led the AL in stolen bases in 77. But Patek falls behind to a two-strike count, and he's going to hit another ground ball. Greg Nettles. And, well, Greg Nettles to Willie Randolph, to Chris Shambliss. They turn it better than anyone, and they turn it timely once again to win the pennant for the Yankees. And take a listen, Frank Messer on the call, and then Bill White talking that talk because, yeah, the Yankees are going back to the World Series. Ground ball to third, Nettles to Randolph. Double play, and the Yankees have won the pennant. Look at Lyle. Now, wait a minute. Don't hurt anybody out there. They've got to play Tuesday. Look at them. They're so happy. Just completely mobbing Sparky Lyle, who has come on to win his second game in a row. He was the winner yesterday. Unbelievable. And uh, just a mark of dejection right there. The shortstop, Freddie Patek. (laughs) <laughs> Reggie don't want to lose his cap. Look at him. Everybody's happy. Frank, uh, you know, you know, you know, Frank, you, you look at this and, and some kind of victory for, for the Yankees. They were down late in the ball game, came back, picked up a run in the eighth inning, came back and picked up three runs in the ninth inning to go ahead. And, uh, you know, that's the mark of a champion coming back that way after being down, playing away from home where the Royals had bragged uh, so much about when we get them back to our place, the carpet's going to get them, our uh, hitters are going to get them, Splittorf is going to beat them. Well, all that was nice, but the game is still played down there on the field. And when it's all over, the best team's going to have uh, more wins than the other. And the final score here, the Yankees win it by 5-3, to three, and they win their second straight American League pennant. Go ahead and tell them, Bill White. <laughs> uh, of course, talked a lot about Bill White uh, when we covered the uh, the contemporary era um, executives and managers, Bill White, unfortunately, did not. 
uh, get inducted into the Hall of Fame. But, man, he was a great broadcaster. He was a great broadcaster for the Yankees. And, man, the Yankees were going to have a lot to say. We're going to have a lot to say about the Yankees, who, by the way, if you didn't know in this team, their first base coach, Bobby Cox, who would go on to manage the Blue Jays and the Braves and plenty of other teams, right? Uh, Well, I mean, those are the main teams he managed, but uh, would go on to be a Hall of Fame manager, win a World Series with the Braves, and would take on the Royals, by the way, in 1985 when he was uh, with the Blue Jays as manager. The third base coach is Dick Hauser who would be the Yankees manager in 1980 for the fourth matchup, the fourth ALCS between the Yankees and the Royals, and would be the Royals manager when they win in 1985. Keep that on your head for a moment. But these Yankees are going to have plenty more to say about them as they go on to face the Dodgers for the first of two consecutive World Series against the Dodgers. And... You know, again, once again, that that ninth inning, those guys coming through, Paul Blair, Roy White, Mickey Rivers, Willie Randolph, Reggie Jackson with a huge thing, Mike Torres, right? Mike Torres, we're going to have plenty more to say about Mike Torres, underrated member of this Yankees team who ends up having a great postseason. And, of course, Sparky Lyle. (laughs) I mean, just a fantastic performance from the lefty. We'll end on the Royals. A disappointing finish. Had the game there, but sometimes you need a closer, right, to get you through. And uh, pop quiz. The answer's quiz. Dan Quisenberry. He's going to be the reason they get through in 80 and eventually in 85. Right, having that guy who can finish off ball games for you. It matters. It matters a lot. And also different managers, right? Whitey Herzog is gonna get another shot, but his time will run out. You know, he'll go they'll get there again in 78, but fall short, and he moves on to the Cardinals. And Jim Fry, who comes over from the Orioles, gets them to the World Series, but not enough. And like I said, eventually it's Dick Hauser who gets the job done for them in 1985 and pieces move around and, and, and guys do the main core, right. Of Hal McRae, Frank white and George Brett and Amos Otis. Those guys are all there for that. Uh, but they add on others like Willie Wilson and Willie Aikens for a year. And, you know, adding guys like Brett Saberhagen really, you know, getting a real ACE on the team that matters too. front end, back end. Don't need to talk too much at length about all that. But ultimately, this series was really great because, you know, sometimes I think the individual games were really awesome, had some great turning points, some great like Cliff Johnson and Willie Randolph and Mike Torres coming through in the big moments, right? We know what's going to happen in this World Series, but... It's also going to be a great thing of where the World Series ain't just about Reggie Jackson, folks. It ain't just about Reggie Jackson, and I cannot wait to start covering for you. Uh, we'll have game one coming later, and I'll probably have some notes about um, 
Hall of Fame, which I believe is going to be this coming weekend, will be the announcements for the writer's ballot. Anyway, that's going to do it here. We have plenty more of 70s playoff baseball coming to you with the 1977 World Series in the coming weeks. Until then, catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.